Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Welcome, everybody. We've uh, got a great one today for a change. I uh, try to keep these evergreen, meaning you could listen to this a year from now and say, hey, the experience of listening to this is no different uh, than it would have been uh, when it first came out. And uh, today will be evergreen only if nothing happens in uh, the Trump impeachment in the next 12 months. And I suppose that's unlikely. My guests today are Dahlia Lithwick and Jeffrey Tubin, two legal giants. I was almost afraid to uh, have them on because I thought they might sue me. But I uh, looked into it, and they, they are not litigious. They're not litigious people. They mainly uh, write about the courts and the law, and I decided I, I wanted to take a look at what legal issues will arise between now and the day Trump is either convicted or acquitted, uh, How ever many uh, months in the future that may be. I recorded my conversation with Dahlia and with Jeffrey October 30th, so a couple things have already <laughs> happened <laughs> since our conversation. Uh, the House voted to approve a resolution that sets out the impeachment process. Uh, no surprise there. Although not one Republican voted for it, and uh, two Democrats did not. So uh, you could say... We're a little divided politically in America, uh, but I guess you knew that. And uh, John Bolton was uh, summoned to testify before the uh, House on this Ukraine matter, and he said he will appear if subpoenaed. So that's since we recorded this, and a lot will go down between now and the Senate vote on impeachment. You know that. I wanted to start with a couple things that I'm thinking about. Uh, the first is very simple. Mulvaney said uh, there was a quid pro quo in his press conference. And we've read the transcript, and it was a quid pro quo. Now, everybody knows uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. This one is where there's fire, there's fire. And, and that's where we are. The president of the United States shook down a foreign leader to interfere in our elections. Question is, is that okay <laughs> with Americans? I think that's what this may come down to. Okay, second, how about that gang who invaded the Capitol skiff? The skiff stands for Sensitive Compartmented Information Facility. The skiff in the U.S. Capitol, of course, is where members of Congress get their classified briefings. You can't bring a phone in there. You know why? Well, sometimes the briefers use visual aids 
like maps that we don't want our enemies to see. Or sometimes they tell us highly sensitive information that you would not want our enemies to hear. And if an idiot charges into the skiff with a smartphone and sends a video to a friend, and the friend is also an idiot, and chances of that are very, very good, and that guy posts it on Facebook, well, our enemies could figure stuff out. And who knows, because if anyone takes a photo or a video, they very well may be handing our enemies information, classified information that's incredibly valuable to them and incredibly dangerous to us. Let's say one of these idiots took a video. Let's say Jim Jordan. Well, let's go Jim Jordan. Send it to his friend, put it on fit. And also, he doesn't have to send it anywhere. His phone is easily compromised by the Russians. I mean, come on. So they could figure out, oh, an intelligence asset. They're, they could go backward and go like, well, they wouldn't know that unless, holy mackerel, we just figured out that this guy in Ukraine is an intelligence asset for the American. Well, let's kill him. And let's make it known that we found out and killed them so that it's tougher for Americans to get intelligence assets, which would make it infinitely harder for us to recruit people and um, keep Americans like you safe. Isn't this fun? Isn't this a fun fact? You know, I used to be a senator, and I went to this skiff quite a bit over my time, and I paid attention. And if you paid attention and thought about it for even a minute, you'd know that bringing a camera into the skiff and taking pictures or a video could jeopardize the lives of who knows how many people. I have some interesting skiff stories myself, but they don't involve classified information. Uh, they're just kind of funny. Nothing as exciting as unknowingly starting a chain of events that could lead to, say, well, I don't know, the detonation of a nuclear device um, somewhere, you know, maybe at a mall here in the United States. Wouldn't that be interesting? And and then maybe it could be all traced back to Jim Jordan's phone when he ran into the skiff. I just wanted to put that out. Now, before we get to our interview with uh, Jeffrey and Dahlia, our research team uncovered an interesting audio. It's a um, it's a piece of evidence from a 1964. House investigation uh, of the Cosa Nostra. This is from a hearing. And uh, this is what I call the mafia. I think what most people call them. But then the Cosa Nostra. And the feds had put a wire on the phone of Lucchese family boss, Tony Six Ducks Lucchese. Uh, they called him Six Ducks because he could eat six ducks at uh, one sitting. He had... Uh, 
the big guy, evidently. And this is a conversation between Tony Six Ducks and the new boss of the Tagliani family, Beansy Tagliani. I guess he liked beans. The Lucchese's and the Tagliani's had been at war for about three months, a lot of carnage, a lot of blood, and it was over territory for running drugs, heroin uh, uh, mainly. Very bloody, very costly to both families, and both sides wanted it over except for the previous Tagliani boss, Vinny Mad Dog Tagliani. He wouldn't negotiate. He just wouldn't do that. He wouldn't stop the war. So Beansy personally garroted his own uncle and ended the war and became the new boss. Everybody actually in the family appreciated what he had done. So uh, here is the audio. It's a little hard to make everything out, but uh, we've cleaned it up with some new technology that we have. And I think you and and, uh, the rest of our audience should uh, be able to follow. BG, uh, first of all, congratulations. I guess you're in order, and you know, thank you for taking care of the situation. No, no, no. We were happy to do it. So the understanding was that we get the Bronx, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we'd so we like to start, you know, ASAP. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, we need you guys to do something, though. We, though? Though? What, 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 what do you mean, though? Well, uh, Jimmy Bagatti, he's had his eye on the Bronx, and we, we just want you to take care of it. Ah, well, I just took care of my uncle, you know. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't mean whack him. No, just mess him up. Put him out of business for a while. Is he saying we don't get the Bronx until we take care of Jimmy? Well, it's not a quid pro quo. It sounds like a quid pro quo. Well, it's not. Just... You know, mess Jimmy up, and then you can start. Hey, I, I don't know, Tony. That, that sure sounds like a quid pro quo to me. What's not? So uh, these guys went to trial for murder and participating in a quid pro quo. Uh, it was a hung jury, and uh, they were retried for murder, the quid pro quo, and jury tampering. Uh, again, hung jury, and actually one of the alternates was literally uh, hung, and they were unable to get another trial. And uh, so they pled guilty for the quid pro quo and got a year each at the Sing Sing, which the Lucchese family controls. So it was pretty easy time. Uh, Sinatra even came in and did a concert for the place. So let's get to uh, Dahlia Lithwick and Jeffrey Duke. We have two terrific guests uh, because this is, you, you know, usually have one, but today two because this is uh, such a weighty topic. These are two of the best analysts of the courts and, and the law that there exist in the United States of America. Dahlia Lithwick is here. Hey. Uh, she is senior editor of Slate, which means, Dahlia, you're responsible for everything on Slate? No, sir. <laughs> uh, we're just going to add in a yes. Okay. Uh, no, Dahlia writes about the courts. 
and the law for Slate and has been doing it for for years. And uh, and also uh, is host of Amicus uh, with Dahlia Lithwick. That's your podcast. Yes. Amicus with or uh, Amicus. And um, well, I'll make this brief. Anyway, you're going to hear humor like that throughout <laughs> this hour. <clears throat> so, and then we got uh, Jeff Tubin, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Tubin, who is merely a staff writer at the New Yorker. Why just a staff writer? I mean, she, uh, Dolly is senior editor. Uh, one of many areas in which Dolly outranks me. Um, they they just have staff writers there. Yeah, they don't they, no, they don't delineate. No, yeah, that's just you know, that, that's okay. that's the title. Okay, and the, yeah, the stuff you write is great, and so th- that is not a reflection. The title <laughs> on the quality, senior legal analyst at CNN. See there, you got the senior. Uh, actually, that's a little out of date. I'm now the chief legal analyst, Al. So how about that? Oh, well, that's embarrassing for me. I can't even get your title right. Yeah, you know, because I'm tough but fair with the other legal analysts. (laughs) Yeah, how many? Oh, there are other legal analysts, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're the the chief legal analyst. Okay, so what I want to do today, I want to look prospectively at what any legal issue will be between now and and the day we find out whether Trump is convicted or not convicted. What are Because it seems to me like there are just a tremendous number of legal issues that arise almost daily. Okay, what comes to mind first as maybe a legal issue that is hugely important, but that no one is really thinking of or talking about i can take a crack and then i'm curious what jeff thinks but i would say one of the things that we're not really bearing down on and getting our hands around are these sweeping claims of presidential immunity of executive privilege in other words white house counsel are people going to testify is that it well yeah i mean i think that you know the white house counsel sent this bonkers letter uh that said nobody has to say anything it's all privileged everyone's immune if you one time like brought coffee to the campaign uh you are (laughs) swept in under this uh huge umbrella and you know it will be tested in the courts but i think it's fair to say i guess i'm curious if jeff differs. But I I don't think we've talked about it a whole lot. But I just think it's important to understand that they began this thing from the posture of we're going to define what privilege is, we're going to define what immunity is. Everybody's under the umbrella. Good luck. And I think what we've seen in the last few days is the drip drip of folks who are saying, yeah, I'm going to testify anyway. But I do think that it's really, as a legal matter, uh, a a kind of a a once-in-a-lifetime claim that they are making that absolutely everyone that they deem to be uh, uh, off-limits is off-limits. So that's one of the places that I think we haven't talked about enough or thought about enough. Well, I I agree that 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 letter, that eight-page single-space letter by Pat Cipollone, who's the uh, White House counsel, really is one of the most remarkable documents that's come out of uh, this whole controversy. But I think it also illustrates kind of a larger legal political issue that that hovers over all of what's gone on. 
basically since the Democrats retook the House um, in, in, the, in the midterms, which is that the White House is betting that the delay and inconvenience and slowness involved in going to the courts is such that even if they lose these cases about assertion of privilege, they will wind up winning because Congress's attention span and the public's attention span isn't long enough to actually demand the testimony from the, the, the people whose cases are, are at issue. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that means that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, so that brings up, that brings up, will the courts expedite these things? Well, yes, they will. I mean, but, but even in expedited fashion, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, it's a month or two at an absolute minimum because everybody as of right gets a ruling in the district court and appeal to the D.C. Circuit in this case. And what did they do in the Pentagon Papers? Well, the Pentagon Papers was was highly expedited and it did it did. I, I'm trying to remember. I, they may even have skipped the circuit court. Do you remember, Dahlia? I can't remember. But but I mean, there are extremely rare circumstances where where the, the circuit court can be skipped. But I don't see any scenario okay. where that's because this is maybe one of the big we got to to me, one of the biggest issues right here, which is can they drag this out? So that it makes uh, it goes into the campaign and they can use it as a campaign issue before it gets resolved. And, uh, you know, and he can do say to his base and to everyone who are by now maybe tired of it. I mean, this reminds me of Mueller, the Mueller thing. He he produces what? How many pages was it? 448 or something? Thereabouts. And uh, no one read it other than people whose job it was to read it, right? And and Barr 
And I want to talk about Barr. Before we get to the yeah. campaign, because I think there is an interesting development between what happened during the initial oversight hearings and the impeachment hearings. I think it's it's important that Adam Schiff in particular has taken a very different approach than the other committee chairman took uh, earlier, when basically every time that there was a subpoena uh, from the Judiciary Committee, from the Oversight Committee, the, the issue went to court and there was a finding of contempt and the cases went on a slow boat to nowhere. What Schiff has done in the impeachment hearings before the Intelligence Committee is he said, you know, we're not going to court on any of this. Every time you refuse to turn over documents, every time you refuse to turn over witnesses, we are going to add that to an article of impeachment for obstruction of Congress. And that will be one of the articles of impeachment against uh, the president. And it'll be voted on. And I, and I don't have any doubt that, that he will be impeached. Now, you know, it may be that ultimately he doesn't get convicted and it may be that he gets reelected. But I think the lever of impeachment as opposed to just these endless court fights, is a serious one. And, and, and I think uh, for all that you know, we can minimize impeachment, it's a very big deal. And, and as a result of what's happened in, the, in this current go-round before the Intelligence Committee, Donald Trump is going to get impeached. He's going to be the third president in American history to have articles of impeachment voted, in part because he's, he's refusing to cooperate with that was That was one of the charges against Nixon. It, it, it was. And, and you know, I, I think that shows a level of seriousness on the part of Congress that, you know, may not get him out of office, but it's not nothing either. And I would add two two tiny glosses on what Jeff said. One is it's really important that, that Schiff keeps saying, like, we will make the inference if you do not turn things over, that you are doing that to obstruct. And he has given that speech several times. And I think it actually makes an important public point in addition to making the legal point that Jeff's making, you know, that this then gets bundled into this um, obstruction claim. But I also think it's really important for him to keep saying, we're all going to just infer that you're guilty. And that's not a nothing talking point. That's saying uh, we're not going to wait for a court to decide. And I think that's important. The only other thing that I think is worth saying, uh, Al, just to your question about whether these things uh, will be fast-tracked, is that we have seen the judiciary in the last couple of weeks setting really fast uh, briefing schedules, you know, in the in the Second Circuit, in the uh, Mazar's case, uh, you know, we are seeing the judiciary, I think, actually picking up the pace in the last couple of weeks. And so in that addition is my to question, I mean, because I want the public to hear the witnesses. Right. I mean, that's what's going to make the difference is you hear all these witnesses that we've seen trotting into the skiff. Right. It, we want people to hear them. And they will be heard. We know that. I, I don't think there's any doubt we will be heard. And I think we know who we'll hear from, at least so far. Um, I, I think Colonel Vindman and uh, Ambassador Taylor are certain to be called uh, to testify in public. And, you know, good luck to the Republicans cross-examining them and making them out as liars <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, unpatriotic and never-Trumpers and, you know, members of the resistance, however they're going to attack him. You know, I, I, I think it's it's going to be a moment uh, and, and several moments uh, that people will remember. Now, will it lead Republicans to abandon Trump? You know, I doubt it. But it's again, let's see. It's not going to be good for Trump. The, the whole backdrop, I mean, we haven't really discussed this, the whole backdrop 
to the Trump presidency, and, and that includes the impeachment, is that he has a 90 percent approval rating in the Republican Party. And there is no way there will ever be 67 votes against him in the Senate if his approval rating remains the same. The Republicans are not going to abandon him. But, you know, though things have not changed, it's possible things will change. And I know, think they will. And it won't go down to 40 percent or 50 percent. If it goes down, where does it have to go down to? <laughs> you know, does it go down to 70 uh, percent of Republicans say this is a witch hunt and he shouldn't uh, be uh, convicted once it goes to the Senate? Do Republican senators uh, have the the cojones to vote to convict? Well, one of the three of us was actually in the United States Senate. So why don't you tell us what you think about uh, whether your former colleagues will ever uh, abandon um, the I think I think it depends if they're running for re-election and how vulnerable they are and whether it will make a difference. I think Susan Collins, you know, it, it's kind of the usual suspects and... McConnell, to the extent that he still runs this, and he he just does, he runs their caucus, will say who can vote to convict and who can't. And he'll give Susan permission, and I don't know. It depends where the polls are. See, I still think I want McGahn to testify because the, the president directed him to go to Rosenstein and and direct him to fire Mueller and then directed him to write a memo saying the president didn't do that. <laughs> now, the the days of looking at the of relitigating the obstruction charges that weren't charged in the Mueller probe I think I think it's been made pretty manifest now. I mean, we're hearing it over and over again. They're going to limit this to abuse of power, also one of the articles of impeachment against Nixon, and they're going to constrain it to Ukraine. I mean, I, I, I would don't love think to... that's necessarily true, Dahlia. I, I, I think there are three areas that are there is Ukraine, and that's as a certainty, as you suggest. There is obstruction of justice, which is the Mueller document, the the Mueller claims, and and Al, what you're talking about, McGahn would certainly be the key witness there. And then there's the obstruction of Congress issue. Those and now I don't think, for example, the emoluments clause will ultimately be a basis. The fake because it's fake. Well, I don't know if it's fake, but I, I, I. I, well, I, the president I, said it was fake. Oh, I okay, see. Okay. Well, okay. And I know how you take everything he says as gospel. But well, it, you know what that was? It was sarcasm. Oh, it was sarcasm. Uh, or irony. Irony. Um, but but, but alert, I, I actually- Be alert for it through the rest I, I, of this conversation. I, 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 We're going to need hand signals. <laughs> hand noted. signals, please. Okay. But, but no, Dahlia, I mean, may, maybe I'm wrong, but I actually think they are not, they have not given up on obstruction of justice, nor given up on obstruction of Congress. As, although Ukraine remains the centerpiece. Well, I do think that it's going to be a slow roll, right? I think that, that they will start with Ukraine because of all the reasons you just said, Jeff. They've got these amazing witnesses. They've got ellipses to probe, you know, in the in the perfect uh, transcript of the phone call that is becoming hinkier and hinkier. But I do think they can roll it into uh, going back and looking at McGahn and going back and talking to Hope Hicks. But it does seem to me that the idea is we're going to get this done. We're going to get it done by December. And I think that they're a little bit nervous about a big, sprawling investigation that tries to get people hopped up about Mueller claims that nobody could get hopped about on the first take. I think that's that's a big decision 
that they're going to have to make. And, I, you know, it's amazing to me that Trump, once it kind of became clear that they really weren't going to impeach him after the Mueller report, that he then did something like this. I mean, he had spent three years swearing up and down that he had never in any way coordinated or talked to a foreign country or anyone from a foreign country about interfering in our election. And poo, shoo, shoo, they don't, they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. Wow. You know what? I think I'll <laughs> do a quid pro quo with the president the newly elected president of Ukraine, with 12 people listening. Well, it's, I think that's it's a good almost, idea. It's almost too perfect because, you know, he spent time, you know, his, his great mantra about Mueller was no collusion, no obstruction. And then the day after Mueller testifies in front of Congress, he engages in collusion and has since been lying about it and, and thus obstructing. So, you know, he, he beats the rap on collusion and obstruction, justifiably or not, and then immediately turns to collusion and obstruction. It's almost like he's actually an unethical person who just behaves that way as a or, matter of practice. Or, or doesn't he just think? I, I, I absolutely believe that every time he asserts, I am, you know, in my boundless wisdom and infinite power, entitled to investigate corruption. And I think he genuinely believes that whatever it is that he thinks he didn't do in terms of Russia interfering in the 2016 election, he also didn't do this time. I think he genuinely believes that he was entitled to withhold aid money to Ukraine because he wanted the Bidens investigated. And I don't think he thinks there's anything wrong with that. In other words, I think his boundless scope of his own sense of his own power, so, so constitutional it's sort of power. A, a, a personality defect that led him to do this as opposed well, to being but, stupid. But, but, but Dahlia, wait, I, I think you may be right. But if that's true, and I think it's possible it's true, which is he thinks he's entitled to withhold money in return for an investigation of Burisma, which is Hunter, Hunter uh, Biden's company. Why does he say there's no quid pro quo? Well, if he I says he's entitled to do it, then why doesn't he say I just did it and there's nothing wrong with this? I, I, I suspect because somewhere along the line, right before he told Sondland, make sure you say there's no quid pro quo, some lawyer said to him, in much the same way that you know, no collusion had no legal force and meaning, you wrote this two years ago, Jeff, in The mm -hmm. New Yorker, Somebody said to him, this is the marker, right? As long as there's no, here's your bag of money, here's my, you know, uh, oppo research on, on Hunter Biden. I think he got it in his head after the fact that that was some legal test. But I don't know that that changes the fact that he believes he was entitled to do this all along. So Mulvaney was not brought in on that, clearly, right? What Mulvaney did is, you know, the old, where there's smoke, there's fire, what Mulvaney did was like, where there's fire, there's fire. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he basically said, I mean, everyone knows that they did this, that well, he did this. And, and that what was so interesting about what Mulvaney said is that he sort of hopped to the next level of defense. Instead of saying there was no quid, quid pro quo, he said there was and there's nothing wrong with it. And I suspect that as this story develops and as it becomes clearer and clearer, as it has become clearer and clearer, that there was, in fact, a quid pro quo, the defense is going to evolve into 
the president had every right to do that because it has to. Right. The facts are just too too blatant, I think. I, and I think maybe that answers your question, Jeff, and, and, and also yours, Al. I think that he just skipped a step. You know, this, it's always been the case that first they say they didn't do it. Then they say uh, they did it, but it's not illegal. And then they say everybody does it and you're a chump if you don't. And I think Mulvaney accidentally got to number three uh, before it was time. And I think Trump has believed number three uh, from the outset. I, I don't think those things are hard to reconcile. I think the problem is you have to reverse engineer a defense around the stuff that he and Mulvaney blurted out. And, and there you get into the Senate Republicans problem, because I don't think there are a lot of senators who will say with a straight face, perhaps there are some, an explicit Ron quid Johnson. pro Yeah, Ron Johnson. <laughs> a, an explicit quid pro quo, you know, Campaign dirt in return for taxpayer money for for military defense is a permissible thing for a president to do. I, that, that's going to be difficult. And that's why you see the Republicans talking endlessly about process. And, and you know, this is not an unfair investigation because they don't want to engage on the facts, which are getting clearer and clearer every day. I just want to ask you about the the idiots who went into the skiff. With cameras. Because I've been in the skiff a lot. That's the where you get classified briefings. And in the skiff, senators can't bring their phones. It, it, it To me, this was criminally stupid. I mean, it was just so dumb. You know, it literally could could lead to a chain of events where a nuclear device goes off somewhere because of how stupid these guys are. And it, they're not going to be prosecuted, obviously, right? Well, I mean, but see, this is something that, that, you know, is an interesting strategic question on the part of the Democrats because, I mean, for the reasons you describe, one uh, response to that, that sort of ludicrous sit-in was to call in the cops and have them all arrested. The alternative response, which is the one they did, was, okay, you you fellas, have your fun. You know, you'll get tired of here coming and you'll eat your pizza and then you'll leave and we'll go on with our hearing, which is what they did. But, you know, I I think this is an, an example of how the existence of a conservative media infrastructure, you know, Fox News and its cousins, uh, gives Republicans such an advantage because regardless of what uh, Adam Schiff and company would have done, it would have been portrayed as fascistic and anti-democratic, even though, for the reasons you describe, it was it would have been extremely important. And I think that leads to a certain caution on the part of the Democrats that would not be uh, exercised right. otherwise. You're right, but I can say this. <laughs> and, I'm sure you, <laughs> you know, I can say this. I can clarify why this was so insanely stupid. But 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 can I can I say my depressing conspiracy theory now? I, I mean I completely agree with Jeff that, and this doesn't just go to you know criminal sanctions for for invading the skiff. This goes to why is inherent contempt power not invoked? Why are people not being put in tiny jail? Why are they not having financial sanctions every single day that they don't show up? I mean this is always the question, and I completely agree. 
uh, with Jeff that it because it would all be spun as you know Adam Schiff is the devil and he's a terrifying fascist overlord. But I think there's another layer to this that scares me, which is I think it's part of a pretty deliberate undermining deconstruction of trust in the entire intelligence apparatus. And I think that part of doing this is again and again and again, it's what it's at the root of all the claims about the deep state. It's at the root of all the claims that these people are all never Trumpers. Anybody uh, in the intelligence machinery who's against Trump is a, a, a bad guy and, and a, you know, Clinton aficionado. And I think it's part of the very notion that people who are not on the relative com- uh, on the relevant committees had a right to be in that skiff, where there were Republicans who have been in the skiffs, who have been asking questions, who've been doing their jobs. This is just a part of saying uh, the whole thing, all of our intelligence services are either with us or against us. And if they're against us, we're going to smoke them out. When I, you know, pull the covers tight to my chin at night, what I really am nervous about is that this looks like another piece of just straight up nihilist fomenting distrust in the idea that there are national security secrets, that there are people who will be compromised. Uh, It's just a way of throwing so much sand into public trust in those institutions. Aren't they the same people did Baghdadi? Well, that's part of the problem, right? If you're saying, oh, thank God for our our intelligence services that did that, and out of the same nanosecond, you're trashing intelligence systems domestically, it's part of the problem. You're either going to support and bolster trust in these institutions or you're not. And I think he's determinedly, and I think that a lot of the Republicans who crashed that skiff are determinedly suggesting that there's something hinky going on. And the best example of that is this terrifying decision that we're turning what was supposed to be just an administrative review in how the Russia probe got started into criminal investigation of Jim Comey and Andrew McCabe. It's all part of the same thing. And if I can just add, I I agree with everything Dolly just said. It's also their attitude towards the press and the news media that if something is in the Washington Post or the New York Times, to say nothing of Slater, the New Yorker, that's proof that it's false because it's in the fake news media. It's, it, it, we've gone beyond the discrediting of individual stories. It's, it's the entire institutions that, that are rejected. It's, it, you know, I, I don't think the New York Times and the Post need the extra subscriptions that the White House had. But, you know, the, this, the president's you know, theatrical canceling of subscriptions to the Times and the Post is really about saying, don't believe anything you read. That's, uh, of course... Very 1984. Right. It is. War is peace. And and that's that's and, 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 you know, I I I don't want this to sound like special pleading for the for the news media. But when you start to reject institutions in total, whether it's intelligence agencies or the news media, it's or or the prior administration in in the form of this uh, you know Durham investigation or the origins of the of the Russia investigation it's a very scary business and even if Trump goes either next year or after the election there's going to be a big legacy to this that I don't think we have figured out at all what it, what it really means you mean the creation of a just a permanent division in our country yeah and and, and permanent distrust of institutions on the part of a very major, you know, not a majority, but a very major part of of 
the American people. And, and maybe I, I would just say I think it also answers a little bit of the question that, that you posed to Jeff, which is why not come down like a hammer uh, and throw everyone in jail? And I think some of the answer is that if you are the Democrats and you're still trying to preserve public trust in institutions, you're still trying to preserve the notion that, no, this impeachment can be fact-based and fair and, uh, you know, bipartisan or whatever, then you're always doing this two-front fight because you're simultaneously pushing back on the nihilism of people who just don't care about the institution. And you're trying to somehow support and hold up the institution. And the courts are another example of that. I mean, I think that judges are so frightened of destabilizing trust in the courts, that one of the reasons they're so tentative and so careful is that they're doing this crazy two-front warfare. They're trying to beat back the craziest of the crazy, but they're also trying to maintain some sense of floating above it. And I just think you are, by definition, disabled when you are fighting on those two fronts. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at Amazon.com slash Instant Eraser Foundation. Well, this is, you know, when you fill the court, uh, the courts, the federal courts with a federal society and, and only them. And when they took away the blue slip, which was the opportunity for Every senator, when a judge, a federal judge, is picked for a circuit court, their their state's spot in it, both senators had to sign off. What that meant was, and we've observed this for 100 years, and then Grassley got rid of it. I think it was McGahn who did it. What happens then is, is that you get a court that instead of having people who a senator agrees with the White House— saying, okay, you can have a conservative, but have somebody who's very well respected in Minnesota. And then you get a federal court where the judges listening to cases are more objective. And now we're just going to have uh, these 
right wing, you'll be able to 100% say where a judge will come down depending on what president uh, appointed them. You know, I, I think John Roberts is a fascinating figure in all of this because, you know, he is not from that part of the Republican Party. I mean, I think Sam Alito is. I think Neil Gorsuch is. I think Clarence Thomas is. Um, I think Kavanaugh is. Ka- Ka- Kavanaugh, no, I do. I, uh, probably, I but but anyway, let's put let's put us put let's put the, the four of them aside. But I don't think Roberts is, and you know, with these extravagant uh, claims of executive privilege, none of which, in a, in a in a pure sense, have come before the court yet. What is Roberts going to do? And you know, this sort of nihilism that, that we've been talking about. What is Roberts going to do when that comes before the court? I mean, what do you think, Diane? Well, I mean, I think the one thing we know beyond a shadow of a doubt about Roberts is that he is an institutionalist, right? That's a cliche. He is in love with both the primacy of the institution of the court and the public estimation of the court. And I think he's very concerned about his legacy, too. And this is all reported out beautifully in Joan Biskupic's new biography of him. And I actually um, think that it's we have to be a little bit careful because John Roberts really mostly has a ceremonial role at the impeachment trial uh, itself. But I actually took the fact that within two weeks, Mitch McConnell went from saying, yeah, we're going to do a rubber stamp joking, ha ha impeachment trial to, okay, I'm going to sit down. We're going to get out the PowerPoint. I'm going to brief uh, Republicans in the Senate about how this is going to go. I think he went from saying he was going to single-handedly quash this thing in the Senate to saying, okay, this is a serious procedure in no small part because I think he knows that it's not Sam Alito who is the decisive vote here. Uh, and so I, I actually think that, I, I mean, you know, we, we have all said it a hundred times, nobody doubts that John Roberts is a movement conservative who ideologically is aligned with those other justices you mentioned on every single issue. And I don't think Shelby that, County was his. All of them. All of Citizens them. Citizens United, he voted the all majority. Of it, all yeah, of it. But I think that the places where he has defected most recently, the citizenship ca- case where he changed his vote, the, the census citizenship case in June, he defects when the court gets embarrassed or politicized or when it just the becomes... ACA. He, he was the crucial vote on ACA. And if, if it comes back to the Supreme Court, which probably will, uh, the, this case that the state's attorneys general are are bringing, I believe he'll also um, somehow find a way to uh, not overturn the Affordable Care Act. I think he I think he worries terribly that when Donald Trump is gone one way or another, he is going to still be at the at the helm of a court that will have been deeply politicized unless he does something about it. And I and I think it's not trivial that Mitch McConnell may have realized he's going to have to take this a little seriously. Maybe I'm wrong to ascribe causation there. Can I do a uh, like kind of a little bit of a lightning round? Not really, but uh, Giuliani. Giuliani um, ends up in prison. Yes or no? No. 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 Okay. No. For what? I, I mean, I, I just don't. Uh, you know, the, Giuliani has behaved incredibly irresponsibly, but I think it's difficult to articulate um, actual crimes he has committed. I mean, the one that people talk about is a violation of the Foreign Agents Registration Act, which is a very problematic law that Justice Department has had a lot of trouble prosecuting. I, look, I, I'm not defending Rudy Giuliani, but, you know, prison is one thing, and I just don't see he winds up there. Being just 
completely freakishly grossly mobbed up with hinky people is not a crime. Gordon Sondland, distinguished ambassador <laughs> to uh, from, the, uh, from the from the boutique hotels of Portland, Oregon, uh, to the uh, European uh, Union. He, is he just going to go back and change some of the stuff he said? I think he'll probably do some of that. Although, you know, I mean, one of the things that's been so remarkable about the the Ukraine investigation is how much the evidence has just lined up entirely in one direction. You know, when you do a criminal investigation, as, as I used to do as an assistant U.S. attorney, there are often people who either lie or have lousy memories or, you know, just were, are generally clueless. It's only Sondland so far. And that doesn't mean he's committing perjury. It, it means that, you know... He has to be looked at again. And remember, we haven't even seen the full transcripts of all their testimony. And, and I think that may illuminate a little more about what's going on. But, you know, I, I don't think Sondland, you know, you can start to, you know, cart him off to prison now or, or perhaps no, ever. No, no, no. But, but I, I, again, I just think this has been such a well-run investigation and the evidence is so overwhelming of improper conduct on the part of the presidency, uh, president and quid pro quo that the fact that Sondland is somewhat, not even all, but somewhat of an outlier, uh, makes people more surprised than they ought to be. Speaking to that, and you brought this up earlier, um, are the Republicans going to, because it's all lined up in one direction, what the hell are they going to do during these hearings? Have the Republicans on those committees gone back to their caucus and gone... Who boy, I, you know, it's pretty damn clear that uh, what happened here. I, I think the most interesting thing that's happened is the, the bucket of law and order interchangeable parts that they're playing with. So, you know, one day they're shouting, it's all hearsay, you know, and then yesterday someone was shouting, it's fruit of the poisonous tree. You know, like they're just using bits of words that they heard on TV one time. <laughs> and it's just, I think, an attempt to, I mean, the cliche, right, in all the op-eds has been if you can't, you know, sort of win on the facts, argue about the process. And Jeff said that at the top. But it is really interesting that... The attempt to we're going to smoke out who this whistleblower is and we're going to punish the whistleblower. It doesn't matter. Every single thing that the whistleblower alleged has now been borne out by multiple credible accounts. You don't need the whistleblower anymore. So the, the attempt to say, well, because that was illegitimate, everything that came after it is illegitimate just doesn't make any sense as a matter of law, but also as a matter of logic. And so then I think you get these just completely deranged legal claims about, well, it's hearsay, you know, which is, by the way, not all that different from the due process claims that were being made last week, you know, that the president has as part of... <laughs> You know, the House investigation, the right to cross-examine witnesses. No, he doesn't. That's just stuff you learned on Law and Order. So I think there's a weird way in which throwing sand in the gear just seems to be making, you know, sort of random uh, mad libs of legal words and hoping that it sticks. But nothing has been, I don't think, even a coherent other than saying due process and it's not fair. Uh, you know, the random claims of hearsay or, you know, that, that the president should get to. OK, on hearsay, people. on hearsay, uh, you can't accuse Colonel Vindman of hearsay because he was on the call. But you can question 
his loyalty to the United, <laughs> to could, the United States. Yeah. And uh, are they going to do that? Or that just going to be Fox? You know, even Liz Cheney, who I don't think anyone would accuse of being a member of the resistance, um, <laughs> really went after the people who attacked Vindman's patriotism. And I, 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 I think they're going to have to do something else uh, on Vindman. I don't put anything past the president. I mean, the president has already called him a never Trumper. Mm -hmm. uh, they are going to come up with these procedural arguments that it's all hearsay, that, you know, where is the whistleblower? Why haven't we heard from the whistleblower? You know, in terms of, you know, do you think the president's conduct was an abuse of power? That's going to be a tough question to, to answer, uh, other than in the affirmative, by a lot of these senators, even some Republicans. I mean, if it's hearsay, Vindman is pretty much, um, you can't argue that, right? Well, at least for the, the president's part in the in the call yeah um but but i mean there are other there's other evidence all the giuliani stuff i mean this is why i mean just in terms of looking ahead to to drama the testimony of john bolton will be so important Ooh. because you know unlike taylor who had no interactions with the president and i think legitimately you can say about taylor it is his 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 testimony is hearsay with regard to um, with regard to Trump, well, he if, was also if, he was in the he was in Kiev, right? But like a phone call. But but Bolton saw Trump every day. Yeah. His his motives are certainly unknown to me. I mean, this guy has devoted his life to screwing Democrats, but he obviously hates Trump a good deal too. So I don't know where he's going to come out. Let me. Uh, so you know when the president said, uh, "I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue." and not lose a vote, okay? Now, when I heard that, I thought that was hyperbole. And I didn't quite know what it meant. I think he thinks that. Is, is this one of those? I could commit um, illegal quid pro quo acts where it shows that I'm getting a foreign country, bribing them to get involved in our elections and enough people go like i don't care i i they, his lawyers made essentially yes. that argument about a week ago in the second circuit in the case about his taxes where the the lawyer said not only can't he be prosecuted for illegal acts while he's president he can't even be investigated and that's a pretty chilling thought if any uh, court were to adopt that and the judge, by the way, it's worth saying explicitly, Jeff, the judge asked that question and the lawyer said, that's right. Like that, that is right. Um, you know, it, it, it's an amazing thing when you are willing. It, it goes back to what I, I said at the beginning when I said these assertions of immunity and of privilege and of boundless power are being replicated by this legal structure that keeps reinforcing it. I think that part of what is so deeply weird about this moment is that you have at the center of it someone who genuinely believes that as a legal matter he could shoot somebody <laughs> and get away with it and who genuinely believes as a public opinion matter that his followers uh, uh, would not break from him. And then you have this 
huge sprawling legal apparatus that is shoring up that belief. And what's interesting to me is the people who've peeled off here are are not the lawyers necessarily. It's the Foreign Service, right? It's the people who are thinking about national security. And and in some ways, I think we haven't talked about it. I mean, Adam Schiff is now running the game. Uh, but it is interesting to see this not coming out of the Judiciary Committee right now. This is the, the action is at the uh, Intelligence Committee. And I think in a profound way, one of the, the shifts that happened in the last couple of weeks is that this is about foreign intelligence, foreign interference, uh, national security. These are not necessarily bread and butter legal questions as much as they are existential, will America survive questions? And I think the <laughs> folks who peeled off uh, are not necessarily and, and you mean it. America as we know it? Yeah, I mean constitutional democracy with capital C D. I mean, I, I just think that it's fascinating. I kept thinking that the breaks, the fissures, would come within the Justice Department. It, it's it's interesting to me that it's come elsewhere. There's a lot between now and whenever the vote comes in <laughs> in in the Senate, right? Absolutely. It's a long time, and we find that things happen daily in in this. What would it take to? And all, all this is unpredictable. But what what would it take to go where everyone goes like, okay, we gotta get, <laughs> we gotta get rid of them. I really do think we are at a shooting in Fifth Avenue moment. That he could shoot someone in Fifth Avenue and and. And maintain his support, and there but what is if nothing. CNN, what if CNN like did a profile of a guy he shot, and showed his wife and kids? Because <laughs> it would be on CNN. No one who watches Fox would believe it. So it what, what if? Wait a minute. What if he then went and uh, undressed the body of the guy and put him in a clown suit? Would people go like, "That is just sick." I think Susan Collins would vote to convict uh, in that case. <laughs> it's, it's just like, what do we have to do? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Stay tuned. <laughs> wow, this has depressed me. I was going to say that was the most morose sign-off in the history of Stay Tuned, Jeff. That... <laughs> well, but, you know, Dahlia, you're the one who said constitutional democracy is ending. I'm just doing the guy in the clown suit here, you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, you know, look, uh, th there, there's, uh, I think there's a sliver of hope, but uh, it isn't a big piece of pie of hope. Okay. Thanks, Al. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye, Bummer. Bye, <laughs> Mr. Bummer. <laughs> well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. And I want to thank uh, Nick Pelleggi, who uh, helped write the uh, Mafia quid pro quo. And a special thanks to Seth McFarland, who played Beansy in Mafia quid pro quo. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 
Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuel, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Yeah. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.